Good afternoon, and welcome to the latest edition of our Talking Seniors podcast. My name is Anthony Ania. I'm the managing member of Ania Scanlon and Sirignano LLP with offices in White Plains and Somers, New York. Uh, our t- law firm practices primarily in the fields of elder law, will, trust, and estates, Medicaid planning, Medicaid application, and guardianship proceedings. Today, I'm very pleased to have as our guest, Joseph Rule. He is the regional president for Westchester County for Orange Bank and Trust Company. Joe has extensive experience in the banking field. Joe is also an admitted attorney who had practiced for many years. He handles many clients in the attorney relationship, corporate affairs, real estate matters, and his banking uh, duties. And uh, he's also a lifelong Westchester County resident. And without any further delay, I'd like to introduce Joseph Rule. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you, Anthony. It's great to be here. And I'm happy to be with you today to talk about uh, this topic, which I think is very important for seniors. It is. It is a very important topic. And the issue that we're going to address today is what seniors can do to avoid being the victims of bank fraud. And I think it's a very important question and somebody like you that is in the inner circle and workings of a bank knows of all the different types of scams and attempts that are made on clients to hack their account and get information from the clients. So in your experience, how prevalent is bank fraud and hacking of bank accounts in Westchester and surrounding counties? Sure. So let let me start with a little introduction about Orange Bank and Trust Company, which is a local community bank that was founded up in Orange County over 130 years ago, made its way down to the lower Hudson Valley back in 2015. And since that time, we've grown the bank to over a billion dollars in assets with five locations here in Westchester County and one in Rockland. We have two new branches on the way, one in the Bronx and one in Nanuet. Um, I, I talk about the community banking because the community banking gives you a personal relationship with the bank, which I think is critical to what we're going to be talking about today. It will identify you as a person rather than a number or an account number. And you will have people that you can relate to within the bank who can handle any issues that may come up with respect to your accounts on a day-to-day basis. So let's talk a little bit about fraud and what's been happening. Uh, with the advent of technology, obviously fraud has become a major concern for banks because people are banking in a different way today than they did decades ago. Um, I remember as a young boy traveling to the bank with my father on payday to cash his check and being online with dozens of other people who were waiting to cash their checks. Uh, That doesn't happen anymore today as a result of technology. People's checks are automatically deposited into their accounts through their payroll companies and that kind of thing. So people aren't cashing checks from the traditional sense, but the electronic banking component, while it is convenient, um, and, and allows us to, to do much more uh, different things than, than uh, we, we would have to do in person, uh, it does create the potential for fraud. So one of the things that happens quite regularly is people's accounts get hacked. Uh, their, their, uh, their username and password is stolen or otherwise given up uh, through a fraudster who then goes ahead and, and uh, depletes the, the person's bank accounts. That happens in a variety of ways. Um, One of the ways it happens is through phishing scams, which are designed to elicit from people their username, uh, their uh, 
passwords, uh, their account numbers, their social security numbers, any identifying information relating to who you are and what your banking relationship is, is what they're really looking for. And they do that in a variety of ways. Sometimes they call you on the phone. Uh, I remember a number of years ago that my dad had received a phone call from somebody who claimed to be some uh, official person, whether it be a government uh, authority or agency, and asked him for his social security number, which being the diligent person that he was and trusting person that he was, he had given his, his social security number to somebody who had called the house whom he didn't know. So the first thing I'm going to tell you is that whenever you get a solicitation from somebody or a call to you, be very careful about giving that information up if you really don't know who the person is and what they're calling about. In fact, I would venture to say to you that it's unlikely your bank is going to call you to ask you for your social security number. Um, I will tell you also that uh, other ways they get it is by sending you a, uh, an email solicitation, uh, which looks like it's from the bank. And it will say that we've locked your accounts because we believe that there's been fraudulent activity. Please click on the link below and confirm your username and password. Once you do that, you're directed to a third party website, which is where the fraudsters are collecting all that information. You will give up your username and password, and then they will go in and try to hijack your accounts. Uh, so that's another thing you have to be cautious about. Uh, in addition, you may get a text message on your phone uh, from uh, the bank or what, what purports to be the bank, again, asking you for certain information, whether it be your account number, uh, the branch where you bank, uh, whatever that may be. The bank is never, ever going to ask you those kinds of questions. Uh, on a personal note, I will tell you, I received two text messages this week on my cell phone. One ostensibly was from the IRS telling me that uh, to click on the link that I was eligible for a $4,200 COVID payment uh, that they were going to send to me. And the other was from the United Parcel Service saying that there was a package that was on, en route to me and that I should click on this link to get the information relating to the package, where it came from and what the contents were, et cetera. Uh, obviously, uh, I didn't click on either of them uh, because I know the government is not sending me a text message asking me to confirm information for a COVID payment that's not due me. And clearly the, the UPS, how would they get my telephone number and be asking me for information? Uh, it, it just didn't make any sense. So the, the key to it is to safeguard that personal information as best as you can. Because uh, once they get it, then they'll, they'll, they'll run with it and do bad and, things. And really the two things that you have to safeguard are your date of birth and your social security number. Because really, if very anybody important. has those two pieces of information, they can do a lot of damage. They are clearly very mm -hmm. important. The social security number, uh, any, any kind of information that you give relating, uh, the social security number and date of birth being the, the primary, but any kind of information that you give, they can generally try to parlay into something more. Even if you gave something as innocuous as the, the city where you were born, um, they could potentially try to build on that one piece of information and get more and more information about you in an effort to, uh, uh, to you know, to compromise, to compromise your accounts. Uh, nobody's going to ask you to verify your password. Nobody's going to ask you for your account number. Nobody's going to ask you for your username. Uh, nobody's going to ask you for your social security number, your date of birth. Not from not from this bank, and not from any bank for that matter. Um, in fact, there's a uh, the, the um, American Banking Association, the ABA. Uh, has a uh, program out that's called Banks Will Never Ask That. 
And it's a website that you could go to, which will show you the kinds of information that scammers are looking for from you and what to do in the event that that happens. I mean, we have a, a component to our website at orangebanktrust.com, which also talks about phishing scams and what to do in the event that you give up information or you believe that you've been hacked. Why do you think seniors are specifically targeted for these kinds of scams? Why, what makes them more, more vulnerable than other people? I think there's a certain level, as, as I said to you earlier, I think there's a certain level of trust that we have from people that are calling us that potentially sound official and act official. And, and therefore, um, they're considered uh, easy victims or easy prey for fraudsters who are going to just try to get a piece of information that you know, a senior may believe is innocuous and, and, and not worth anything, but then they'll parlay into something different. So uh, it's, it's a trust that I think that people have in, in, you know, the telephone calls and the official nature of that call or the official nature of the email and the fact that the email may look correct, uh, uh, that, that gives them a sense of trust or security that they're providing something. The other thing that happens, Anthony, is that there are oftentimes there's a, uh, there's a there's a, a a notice or a threat that comes about through the email or through the text. Uh, we've seen it in the context of we've closed your credit card account down. We've closed your debit card account down. Your bank account, your checking account has been frozen. And in order to get it unfrozen or your card to get re uh, reinstated, please please it uh, click on this link. So whatever whenever that happens, do not click on any links. Do not have any conversations hang up the phone, uh, don't answer the email, call your bank directly, your local bank branch, the person you know in your local bank branch, or the number that's on the back of your credit or debit card to say you've just received this solicitation, this threat, your accounts have been closed, uh, and, and they'll help you through the process. So as a point of full disclosure, I am a customer of Orange Bank, and one of the things that I do like about the bank, as Joe mentioned, is the, the personal nature of the banking, being able to speak to somebody and talk to the same person week in, week out, and develop a relationship with that person. And talk about you know, the, the safeguards that the bank has in place to prevent a, a client from becoming a victim of fraud. So one of the things that, that we never, you know, we, we attempt, there are hacking uh, attempts against us as well. So sometimes we will get a call from somebody that may identify themselves as Anthony and Nia. And if, if you were to call the office and not get to me uh, and somebody on the outside, and it were you, we're, we have a series of protocols that we're going to make sure that it's you that we're talking to before we disclose. If you're asking for an account balance or, or, or information relating to the payment of a check or a check number. So we're going to identify you a couple of different ways. We're going to ask that caller. Uh, first of all, we're going to look at where the phone is coming from. We're going to try to verify that it's the phone number that you use that we have on record for you. We're going to ask you a series of security questions that you gave us uh, when you opened the account. Uh, and then we're going to verify certain things relating to your address and so on and so forth. So those are the safeguards for us when we get a solicitation from the outside to call to make sure that we're talking to the right person. And in some circumstances, Anthony, we may say, let us call you back. Right. And we'll hang up the phone and we will call you at the office or the number that we regularly call to make sure it's you. We recently had an attempt like that where somebody came through and identified themselves as a customer of our bank and wanted various information. It didn't sound right to my branch manager who said, let me hang up and I'll call you back. 
she hung up the phone and called the customer on his cell phone and he knew nothing about the call. So somebody was obviously trying to hack in and had some indication that he was a customer of our bank and decided to try to see if they could get some more information relating to his accounts and potentially compromise them. So it's those kinds of things that we do that most banks have security in place for. For us, it's the personal relationship. You and I speak regularly. I know your voice. I know who you are. I know the people in your office. So there's a familiarity that we have with one another that you get at a community bank that you won't get at a, a larger institution. Uh, I think that's probably the biggest factor is that knowing the person that you're dealing with when you call the bank and you know you hear that same voice over and over again and you develop that trust and relationship with that individual. Yeah. Um, so as, as the baby boomers age, right? We have this huge aging population I don't know what the number is, but every day, tens of thousands of seniors reach retirement age. And I think the population of baby boomers is something like 80 million total baby boomers out of the population, let's say of 350 million. So it's a large number, but as they're aging, you know, technology is moving faster than their abilities. So what is the bank doing to help your aging customers, your seniors? What are the things that they're doing? I mean, you and I have always joked about having large print statements, you know, or having something where it makes life easier for a senior. But what, what are some of the things that you're trying to do? Well, one of the things that we'll do uh, with a customer is, you know, we'll, we'll show them the basics of certain types of functionality regarding uh, what we call cash management or electronic banking. So today, for instance, in the age of COVID, most people don't want to come to the bank. They don't want to be exposed. They don't want to be in, in, in public. So we will teach them uh, how to use their cell phones appropriately and securely for the purposes of making deposits. Um, we're not at a point now where I could magically make cash appear through your cell phones, although that may happen in a few decades. But right now, what you can do is you can uh, make deposits, check deposits to your account. So we'll teach them how to do that. We have people to walk them through that. Our back office is user-friendly with respect to somebody who may have a problem navigating that system initially. And once you get used to it, it becomes uh, rote and you're able to do it. It's like riding a bicycle, right? Once you learn how to do it, you'll never forget it and, and you'll do it. There are certain levels of technology that are available and the younger people tend to use uh, more prolifically the, the internet banking functions more so than the baby boomers or the seniors. Uh, but there are certain things that we can all do. So one of the things that I like to do is I go into my bank, uh, my internet banking every morning, and I'm not a technologically savvy person, but I go into my internet banking every morning and I see the checks that have come in for payment against my account from last night. I can pull up those images of those checks to make sure that I actually wrote them. And if, in fact, it's a check that I didn't write, I can actually get involved with the bank immediately without any undue delay and waiting for the statement to come out uh, and, and rectify the issue right then and there. So that's a very basic function that merely requires you to access an Internet banking website with a username and password. Um, and uh, you'll be able to, to navigate it. It's very, very user friendly. While we're talking about it, passwords should be somewhat complicated and sophisticated. Um, and for the most part, they shouldn't be written down on a piece of paper. 
Um, and there are various ways and rules and things that people do. Don't use your date of birth as your password. Uh, don't use your dog's name. Don't use your children's names. Um, all of those kinds of things are easily ascertainable. Um, somebody once told me that they use the first letters of, the f of, of, of their favorite song uh, and the first letters of each word in, the, in their favorite song. So, um, and the first one being a capital letter and at the end they add a, uh, an exclamation point or an ampersand or something. So it remains the same throughout every, every functionality that they use, which is not a bad, which is not a bad way to do it. Um, so you should have a fairly complex uh, password, no doubt. Joe, when we first started talking, you talked, you mentioned this concept of phishing, where people are phishing. Is that where they get into your emails and they're, they're seeing trends and patterns of communications that you're sure. having? And Absolutely. based on those trends and patterns, then they try to... Can you, can you give us an example of what phishing, so phishing looks like? Phishing is a couple of different things. One is they're trying to get personal information, username, password, account number, social security number, date of birth, place of birth. And, and they're, they're asking information of you in some manner. Clicking on a link uh, will then give them potential access to your computer. Once they get access to your computer, now they could take a look at your emails. And when they look at your emails, they could see who you're talking to. So if they were to hack you, Anthony, they could see, oh, you send you send emails to this guy at Orange Bank and Trust, he must be his banker. And therefore they'll formulate some kind of a, a message to me through that to say, hey, Joe, it's Anthony. I was wondering if you could tell me I'm on the road. I need my account number because I'm trying to buy something at the Home Depot. Um, that doesn't sound like you to me and I wouldn't do it, but that's what they try to do. They'll yeah. also see who your family members are from those emails. And right. oftentimes what will happen is somebody will send a solicit, uh, an email out to say, grandma, grandpa, it's, it's me. I'm, I'm in, uh, I'm in the Harrison police department. I've been arrested. Please send me, uh, you know, $5,000 at this so I can get bail. And there's this initial reaction to want to help, right. Or I've fallen or I'm in a hospital. These kinds of things are happening from the fact that you've given access the phishing attempt has resulted in them getting access to your computer. They're reviewing your emails, who's sending you emails, the content of those emails. So you need to be very careful about safeguarding that and where you go and where you, where you, where you surf the web with respect to your own activities. Well, Joe, if you ever get an email that refers to me in Home Depot in the same <laughs> sentence, you know that's a fraud. That's why I, I said I knew it wasn't you. <laughs> because I could barely change a light bulb. That's why I knew it wasn't you. But those are the kinds of things that also a banking relationship affords you to have with a, with a smaller bank. So I would know that fact. That doesn't sound right to me that you would be at Home Depot or that, you know, or something, to, something relating to you right. that I would know because of our relationship that I'm going to say this just doesn't sound right. We are often getting uh, phishing attempts for client information regularly through our bank in, in, in various ways. So we're very cautious about that. Um, you know, we're going to call back. We're going to safeguard that information, as should you. So one of the things I talk about often, Anthony, and I'm not a shill for this, is the Social Security number being a very critical piece to your uh, financial life, right? That it drives your credit. It drives account openings when you're opening up new bank accounts and you really have to safeguard that. So any of these uh, online services that protect LifeLock, uh, Identity Shield, uh, any of those types of things, 
I recommend very highly to people because it'll allow you to see if somebody's opening an account with your social security number, looking for credit under your social security number. All of those things are, are, are very critical. I happen to be a member of one and my wife and I had recently uh, uh, put a home equity loan on our house. Uh, I got a notification four months later that somebody was trying to record a document in the Westchester County Clerk's Office under my name, which was the documents that we signed, which was legitimate. So the system worked. It let me know that something was happening with my name. Right. Also, it'll let you know with your with your uh, Social Security number. It'll alert you to that. There's also another trick you can do, which is you can freeze your credit. Right. Which you can go to the credit. Yeah, you can go to all the credit reporting agencies, the three of them. And you could put a credit freeze on your account, which means that no one can inquire under your social security number for the purposes of obtaining a loan using that number unless you unfreeze your credit report. It's an excellent tool to really prevent anybody from using your social security number. Right. It can also be a little, it could be a little cumbersome if you want to go and open up a new credit card. But what you can then do is just contact the, the credit reporting agencies unlock, unfreeze That's your right. account for 24 hours and, and That's do right. what you need to do. And you could, you could unfreeze it. And you're right. It is cumbersome because if you apply for a new credit card or you apply for a loan, they're not going to be able to run the credit. Then they're going to call you and say, you have to thaw the, thaw the credit. They say, right. so you thought with respect to that particular user, uh, they can then get access to your credit report and then it gets frozen again. Uh, it's really a, a, a foolproof way of of safeguarding your social security number from being used. People could guess a number too, by the way. Uh, and, it, and it could just be yours. It could, it's possible. It yeah, really it's is. possible. You know, a, a lot of, uh, depending on your age, a lot of social security numbers begin with the same digits. So if you applied for a social security card in 1956, a lot of the first three digits are the same. That's right, that's right. So, so we, you know, we, we see lots of times, sometimes it's a guess, you know, again, using the first three of a, a prevalent uh, social security number. Um, I told you the story about my father receiving a solicit. My mother received a, a call asking for information as well. So the idea is safeguard it, protect it. Um, if you're going to use passwords, make sure they're complicated, uh, as complicated as it can be so that you can remember don't write them down. If you do write them down, put them in a safe place that nobody right. else is going to know where they are. Uh, it, it, just becomes, it just becomes critical. Yeah. Uh, the, other, the other telltale sign, Anthony, one of the things that I will talk about just briefly is that when you receive an email or a text uh, that's, that's spam or, or phishing scam, they generally contain typographical or grammatical errors because they're coming from overseas. So one of the red flags for that is a misspelling of a, a very common used word, uh, the context of the syntax of a word being used incorrectly. You know, banks generally speak proper English and spell words correctly, at least we hope. Right. So if in fact there's something that's amiss like that, you should just be very, very careful. It's more than likely a scam. And one final question, Joe. Where do you see the future of banking going, especially, and you know, with all these baby boomers coming of age? You know, my parents are in their 80s. I mean, they don't go to the bank anymore. I handle all their banking for them. But what happens as all these baby boomers become of age, and some of them are not as sophisticated, you know, technologically as others? How are they going to deal with banking, and where do you see the future going? Well, I think that banking will always have a location to go to, which I think is critical for the people that do not want to use technology. By the way, there are some 
people that are not comfortable, who are very technologically savvy with using the technology because they're uncomfortable with the idea of the security behind it. But I think as we advance more and more computers, smartphones, iPhones, iPads, we're going to be doing more and more electronic banking. We're building platforms around that now. We're making sure that we're comfortable with the security around it so that the people that want to take advantage of those without coming to the bank can do so. I think that what's going to happen, Anthony, more and more technology, less and less uh, branch traffic. But I do believe that branches will still remain open for people that want to conduct banking in a traditional sense. I think you may see a compression of hours where they're not open from, you know, let's say 830 to four. They may open from 10 to two. I'm not suggesting that we're going to do that. But I think as fewer people use banks in a traditional sense, they may compress the hours that are available for that purpose uh, and, and therefore, um, you know, prevent, you know, prevent those longer hours. By the way, some of the banks are charging for fees for you to deal with a teller. So uh, in a traditional wow. sense, they'll charge a, they'll charge a teller service fee if you're dealing with a person in an effort to entice you to use the electronic banking uh, that they're offering, which is obviously cheaper for them where they don't have to have brick and mortar and personnel, which is, which is fairly expensive. So I do think that technology will continue to advance, but I think that banking will have always have the traditional component for it for many years to come. I don't think we'll be seeing the old fashioned banks like we had in White Plains that were being built in the 40s and 50s and the 30s that, you know, huge structures where you could have, you know, 15 tellers. I remember walking into the old uh, Chase Manhattan Bank yes. or the Bank of New York and right. they were massive, you know, and, you know, columns, granite, marble everywhere. Well, they conveyed a sense of strength, which is right. what the bank wanted to show you. And the tall ceilings and the exactly, banded yeah. barriers and the, the gold bars around it and the big vault in the back. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, we, we don't, interestingly enough, is that vaults right now for us are not that critical. We don't have those big vaults anymore. I have a vault that's the size of a filing cabinet um, in, in my bank. So the, the traditional components are being refined, but I always think that they will be there for people to, uh, there is a sense of security in, in walking into your bank and seeing live people working in your bank. And I think it'll take many, many years for that to be extinguished fully. Yeah. Joe, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, how do they do that? Sure, Anthony. I, I'm in downtown White Plains. My telephone number is 914 Four two two three one zero zero. You can also email me at jrule, R-U-H-L, at orangebanktrust.com. I'd be happy to answer any questions from anybody who's listening to this podcast. Um, and uh, we, we'd be happy to help however we can. And if you have a question, even if you're not a customer, we always want to help somebody from getting, from, from, from getting scammed. So please call us. We'll be happy to help in any way. Joe, thank you very much. And I hope to see you and talk to you soon. And, and during this COVID period, please stay safe. Anthony, my thank pleasure. You. And, thank you. and you as well. Thank, thank you. you. Bye now.